This episode brought to you by Basecamp. When you use Basecamp to run projects, people know what to do. People know where things are, and you stay on top of everything all the time. So visit Basecamp.com. Uh, y- yes, terribly sorry to bother you, Mum. Um, Detectives Bartlechurch and Pinsley here uh, uh, to-, to speak with you if-, if you've got just a moment. What's all this then, eh? I've already spoken to the police once before. We just have a few uh, uh, more questions. Uh, a new line of inquiry about uh, the whereabouts of your nephew, Nigel, on, on the night of the 13th when, when you were conducting your... Uh, what was it? A, a, a summoning? A, some, some sort of ceremony? Seance! I don't do summonings, love! All right, then. Ease off, eh? Oh, what's his problem, then, eh? Oh, oh yes. My, my partner, Pinsley, is... Uh, well, I, I, I think you'd just better let us come inside and have a little chat with you, if, if you don't mind. All right, all right. I'm putting the tea on. Come on in. Wipe your feet! Pinsley, what on earth are you doing? Have you lost your mind? We need information from this woman. You, you, you just verbally accosted her. Oh, just calm yourself there, Churchy. Bartle Church. Right. I was just trying to rattle the old bird's cage a bit. Put her off balance. I think this is a perfect opportunity to use the old good Bobby, bad Bobby. I say... I certainly hope you don't expect me to be... All right, Dan, don't you worry. Get your knickers out your trousers. I'll do your dirty work. All right, here we are. Sorry, I didn't know I'd have company, so I don't have any biscuits. Oh, oh no, 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 I'm terribly sorry. It's it's, it's all our... All uh, right, let's... Edna. Let's just get to it. <gasps> oh, never! Where's Nigel? He's not here. Did you hear him use some familiar variants of my name? Oh, oh, Where? T- terribly sorry about my, my partner here. I don't know what's come over him. He, he, see, he doesn't do things quite by the book, as it were. He's a loutish oaf, if ever there was one. A loose cannon, if you will. You would do very well to just tell us what we want to know, that we may be on our way post-haste. And, and I must admit to you in confidence, when you said you had no biscuits, he seemed unconvinced. You're talking about biscuits? Cool! There you are. Right, well, Nigel's on holiday. There, that's what you want to know. Holiday, huh? Well, I suppose I should just have this seat here without being asked then. Oh, that's comfy. Oh, say! Now listen to me. You tell me exactly where Nigel is, or I'm going to put my foot upon this table. And I'm going to relax. Might even have a bit of a kip. You wouldn't! Tinsley, that's enough. You've gone too far, man. Where's Nigel, Edna? I might even take my shoes off. Oh, I done told you! He's off for school! Uh, I'm so, so sorry, Miss Troutworth. That, that sounded like a contradiction from your earlier statement. Uh, p- please, you would, you would do so well to tell him exactly the whereabouts of Nigel. He's not bluffing. Cards on the table, Edna. We have reason to believe that you had Nigel thumping the floorboards underneath those people to make them think there were spirits in the room. At least, that's my theory. You give us Nigel, he tells us you're on the up and up. Looks like I'm all sixes and sevens. Well, I ain't telling you nothing. Do your worst. Do my worst, then, eh? Yeah, 
I suppose I'd fancy a sip of this tea. Ah, looks like the teacup has been moved aside. And it looks like I will not be setting it back on the saucer. Oh! You want to push me, Edna? You've got 30 seconds to tell us exactly where Nigel is. Then I'll be forced to ask you directions to the loo. And I will not use any cute euphemisms. I will tell you exactly what I intend to do in there. Using clinical, precise terms. Please, Mum, I, I, I'm begging you. You may tell me in all confidence, if, if you wish. I'll tell you, but I won't be talking to that oaf. Nigel's down at pub, probably drinking away every last quid he's got. A, a very good, very good. Which pub? That's right, the bubbling cauldron. You know, that the witch pub down the street. All right, then. Looks like we're off to pub. Nope, the glaring lack of a thank you for the tea. Don't think I don't hear you not thanking me. I know what you're on about. I'll have you. Oh, one more thing, Edna. Oh. Have any biscuits? Oh, that is quite I'll enough, Pinsley. I, I say, I've never... I, I, Excuse us, Miss Troutwithel. I, I do apologize for my partner's rude and boorish behavior. Thank you for the tea. We, we shan't be calling again. Good day. And I shan't be thanking her for the tea. I said that's quite enough, Pinsley. Well, that was a classic good Bobby, bad Bobby. That old bird gave it up right quick, didn't she? All right, then, Bob's your uncle. Let's get down to the uh, bubbling cold. Now you and, uh, listen to me, we'll- you hideous barnacle of a man. I cannot believe the way you treat persons of interest on these cases. I've I've well had enough, and I would like to make it quite clear that upon our return to the constabulary, I shall be asking permission to submit a request to the Board of Inquiry for the Thrice Annual Review Committee to consider my request for a transfer forthwith. Call! <laughs> Blimey! He's a hard one, he is! Hello, everyone. <laughs> oh, boo to you. And you, and you, and you. Well, we are on week three. Yes. Of, what? It, what is this, Dave? What are we, what, what's, the, what's the theme of the month? Oh, oh, I think it's, um, it's, uh, fancy prance nombler? No. Uh, is it is it giggle time autumn, or is it Brrrry <laughs> Oh man, I wish they had a little asterisk that just went too right. Toasty. <laughs> oh, how, how is everybody doing? I hope you're doing well. I hope you are rocking this month to the fullest extent of the law. As do I. Hmm. You know, it's that it's that part of the month where the weather's like, oh, just kidding, still summer, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Did you get that? Did Did you get like that one hot day? Oh yeah. It's it, yeah. there's been a couple, but there was one day where it was like uh, ninety. Yeah, we got that too. I was like, the, what the f- is this? Yeah. So weather stuff, but yeah, it's been glorious uh, elseways. Yeah. And uh, Dave and I are fresh off a Milwaukee trip. Who? With Mark Soloff to the uh, Milwaukee Paranormal Conference 2016. That's right, and we've got uh, got plenty of audio. I think we're 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 gonna condense that into a uh, a little diamond of a of a of a report. 
Yeah, I have no idea because I haven't. I still haven't listened to any of the audio that I took with the the mustache gun, yeah. which is what we're calling our portable <laughs> uh, recorder now. Yeah, because it it's got little got a little fuzzy on the end of it. Yep. But um, hopefully it's good. Hopefully we can uh, uh, do something with that. And and I think Dave, we might need to do a special Skype with you and me and Mark to wrap it up. I agree. Because I was going to do it in the car ride on the way back. The batteries were dead. Yep. Whoops. Womp yeah, womp. we do ne- definitely need to put a, a coda on that thing. Uh, but man, what a what a fun couple of days we found. Uh, we ran into some great friends of uh, this podcast. Jay Nathan Couch. Yep. Talked to him for a while. Mike and Wendy from See You on the Other Side podcast. That's right. There. Yep. Uh, had a ton of fun talking to them and catching up. Met a bunch of great fans who came out. Absolutely. Got to high five Pretty Witty Joe. Got to hang out with uh, who also had a booth on the second day, Fluffy Witch. That's right. That's yeah. Right. Fluff, so, Fluffy uh, Witch. Uh, enjoyed the first day and worked the second. Uh, of course, Corey and Steve, our, our good buddies yes. from the from the Chicago Burbs, uh, came out. I know. Those guys, um, they are the best because they show up all every time. And we had a great time. We actually went out and got beers with them that night. Yeah. Had a, uh, had a blast. Had a great time. We did our live thing. There was a Facebook Live that was streaming uh, on the Paracon page, and the way Facebook Live works is it automatically gets recorded, I guess. And so I snagged that video and put it on our timeline. So if you're looking for a, a, a yeah, I don't know what forty five minutes worth of us live. I think it was less than that. Maybe if, my, if I was guessing, I don't know. Uh, if you uh, if you wanted a little window into the Paracon, it's a good thing to watch and uh, watch uh, uh, David and I squirm on a live camera and try to try to get through that. That's that's also entertaining. It was pretty fun. Yeah, it went super fast. It was a lot of fun. And what's very weird is that um, you have the the laptop that has the feed on it, but you want to look at the camera because I feel like that's the thing. But then what nobody sees is right behind the camera. There's like six people just standing and staring at you, and that's weird. I, I I didn't I didn't have a problem with it. I didn't even think about it. Actually, the the thing I was thinking about with that is that I wish we could uh, interact or or do something for the people standing there. Yeah, I chose to ignore them. <laughs> it's one one extra thing to think about. So I think that got uh, lost by the wayside. But yeah. Except for Steve, I did I did throw in a a, a, a joke just for Steve. Oh, did you? <laughs> yeah, Steve gets me. <laughs> um, it was fun, and and we'll uh, we'll tell you more about it when when I get the episode cobbled together. Just all about it. I don't want to you know show show the hand too much. That's true. But. We did we did make some fun contacts. We got a a, a bunch of uh, really good leads for future uh, episodes and interviews. That's right. So. And uh, and we missed out on a couple, <laughs> right? Oh man, some great stories though. Yeah, <laughs> let's just skip to the end of that. Steckle <laughs> ruins everything. <laughs> oh, I love it. Anyways, uh, it was a great job. They they're still trying to pay for it uh, because everything was you know bigger, better, badder, faster, louder, and like I totally get it. They're 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 a little yeah. short on. Uh, the funds that they needed. So if you have a couple dollars uh, and want to support the Milwaukee Paracon, then go to their Facebook page. There's a link to get to a GoFundMe that will help them square up their uh, their debt to society. 
<laughs> yeah, it is <laughs> to society. Well, that's the thing. They, they, you know, uh, T worked so hard to make an amazing program to get a lot of people there. Yeah. And it's, it's just such an organizational nightmare to get all of that off the ground and working simultaneously. And not only did he do all the planning and get everything set, but during it, he is just running, running, running all the time. Right. He is, he is not only making sure that things go according to plan, but he's also participating. He's sitting on panels. He's doing interviews. He's trying to, to help the people who did come. So way yeah. to go T. It was a yeah. great time. He did so a great yeah, uh, I know that we definitely chipped in there. And if, if you think uh, paranormal stuff is awesome, which you do, cause you're listening, man, support, Feel support the, the paranormal community and uh, T Krulos, who certainly does a lot to keep things moving in that, in a, in a good direction. That's right. Got some very big announcements, very big and exciting announcements coming. Uh, we'll save them for the end of the episode. I'm pregnant. I couldn't wait. No, oh, I, mean, I am not pregnant. That is physically impossible. So we're we're excited about that. Hoping everything will get together. And we we kind of had to call an audible on this episode, huh? Yeah, we kind of thought we knew what we were doing, but we were wrong. So to those of you uh, for the live cast, we tipped the hand about that, and this was not one of the episodes that we had listed to you. So see, even when you think you know, surprise, motherfuckers! <laughs> Sand Hill Crane. Yeah, <laughs> but I am excited for this. I think it was uh, it, it's a pretty cool, creepy, a little sad topic to cover. Yeah, this is a uh, this has got uh, some murder, some mayhem, some unknownitude, and a lot of spookiness. So yeah, we're gonna be talking about the murder of Charles Walton. Yep, I'll just launch into it. How about it? <laughs> Do it. I, I it's funny because. Uh, my my general jovial demeanor will instantly be out of place. So let me just <laughs> woo <laughs> fart fart. Yeah, we're all having fun. We yeah. and that Dave is over. <laughs> that Dave that Dave's just in remission, brother. <laughs> that's yeah, that's true. He'll come back at a left field like he do. So murder, mystery, witchcraft, phantoms. Druidry, England. The murder of 74-year-old Charles Walton in 1945 had a little of everything. And if that wasn't enough, it remains unsolved to this day. What? What happened to Charles Walton that fateful day in Warwickshire? We'll be taking a look at the mysterious circumstances surrounding his death, including the allegations of witchcraft playing a role and connections to phantom hounds, and a local stone circle. What is fact and what is fiction in this case? Was this a case of religious zealotry against a witch? Was it a blood sacrifice? Or just a random, gruesome murder? Now, as with any true crime mystery, we'll let you know when the unpleasant details arise so you can skip or prepare your bums accordingly. There will be some puckering. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, this... this uh it's dark. Uh, it sure does. Yeah. It sure does. And if um, anybody's mad about it, Flora picked it. I did. I will. I'll take Flora the bullet on this one. Dave mumbles stucco. <laughs> All right. Let's set the scene a bit. Let's tell you who Mr. Charles Walton was and what was going on uh, at the time. Now, Charles Walton was a 74-year-old farm laborer from Lower Quinton, Warwickshire, England. 
Lower Quinton in 1945 was a rural farming village about eight miles from Stratford-upon-Avon, birthplace of William Shakespeare. Charles had lived his whole life there, uh, a real countryman and hard worker who shunned village life, including the local pub, the Gay Dog. He shunned a pub? Shunned a pub. Pub shunner. Pub shunner. Pub shunner. <laughs> uh, a widower, his wife had died 18 years earlier in 1927. He lived in a small thatched cottage, number 15 Lower Quinton, which he shared with his niece, Edith. Not Edith, because why, Dave? Edith is a boy's name. <laughs> he had adopted Edith at age three when her mother, his sister, had died. And the now 33-year-old Edith lived with him in tended house while also working as a printer's assembler for the Royal Society of Arts. Uh, fun historical side note, they actually had to relocate uh, to, to that part of England uh, due to the war. WWT. The Blitz! Now, Charles was actually something of a, of a local enigma uh, because he, though he kept to himself, up, you know, Edith notwithstanding, up to the point of isolation, he was not like disliked by his neighbors. He wasn't like a weirdo. Um, he'd always been a hard worker and anything people did think was odd about him was just the fact that he was somewhat reclusive uh, and liked to kind of spend time in nature. He uh, apparently was a, a horse trainer at a young age. And did a very good job with it. I'm not saying he was a whisperer. <laughs> I'm not a doctor. I can't diagnose that. But uh, it was said that you know wild birds would flock to him and eat from his hands, um, and that he there's a, another rumor that he kept natterjacks, which are little tiny uh, European toads. They have short legs, and so they they kind of run instead of hop. He kept those as pets, and despite the fact that he was 74, he he worked on a farm. He did. Manual labor, which is what he was doing on the day in question. That's right. Um, and so, yeah, he would work. Uh, his fun, fun thing, his only rule was he would not work in the rain. As long <laughs> as the sun was up, so was he. And so, yeah, he was just kind of like extra farm labor. Uh, so to get to that day in question, February 14th, 1945, one more setting of the scene for you. Now, each day, Charles and Edith would head off to their jobs. Charles returning home around 4 p.m. and preparing his own dinner before Edith returned around 6. Uh, and on the 14th, he set off to trim some brush on nearby Meon Hill for a neighbor, Alfred Potter, uh, who was a live-in manager of a farm called The Furs. <laughs> it's a predecessor to The Meadows. Yeah. It started as The Furs. The Furs. Then it was cold, so now it's The Meadows. Charles carried with him his walking stick, a pitchfork, and a bill hook, also known as a trouncing fork or a slash hook. It's kind of like a mini scythe. Yeah. Pretty, stan pretty standard for uh, most ninjas. Yeah. It's the end of the line for a ninja. Oh, nice. Thanks, JVG. You're magnificent. That evening, Edith returned home to an empty cottage. This was an immediate red flag as Charles kept a schedule like clockwork and should have already been home and had dinner finished. Fearing that he had had an accident, she ran over to her neighbor, Harry Beasley, for help, and they set off toward the Furs. The Furs. They came to the house of Alfred Potter and explained the situation. Potter told them he had seen Charles around midday in the hill ground field on the slopes of Meon Hill. He hadn't actually spoken to Charles, he said. He only saw him from about 500 yards away. That's a ways away. Yeah. 
With the darkness of the evening set in, Potter grabbed some torches and led the group toward where he had last seen Charles. As they were crossing the field, Potter stopped suddenly and turned his light on Edith. He tried to persuade her to turn back and head home for the time being, but she refused and walked past him to what had stopped him. And this is where you might want to skip ahead a few minutes. Yeah, things are about to get real grim, CSI style, minus, minus, ironically, the pun. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No. All right. Sufficient skipping time. Um, So Edith walked past him and her light fell on the body of Charles Walton. He had been brutally killed by the equipment he had been using. His head had been bashed in by his walking stick, which lay nearby. The prongs of the pitchfork had been driven into his neck, pinning him to the ground. The billhook had been used to slash his throat, and it said a cross was carved into his chest. His shirt was torn open, and curiously, his trousers were unbuttoned. Hearing Edith's screams, a local man by the name of Harry Peachy came running to the scene. Everyone was in shock, and Potter told Peachy to run for the police, and then he told Beasley to take Edith home, while he waited by the body for the police to arrive. Constable Michael James Lamazny arrived, immediately realized he was out of his league, and called for help from Stratford-upon-Avon Crime Investigation Department. In the meantime, a professor, James Webster, arrived and took samples for a forensic lab, and it was said that it took two men to remove the pitchfork. That's how stuck in into the ground it was. Yeah. Now, now there's one. Um, let me see. There's something I kind of want to figure out here. Was it who did it? Yeah. <laughs> I figured I'd just look it up. Um, well, one of the videos that I saw showed the pitchfork as being not like what we think of as a pitchfork with like three or four tines. But it was just, just two. Yeah. And so I think that it went through his neck, but really the job was to pin him down. I see. But I, I'm not going to say any of that with, unless I know for sure. Because I didn't, I didn't see anything else that was specific about it, but it, it just kind of kept implying that. Yeah. And the, there is a photo that's famous with this of the, uh, the crime scene, the body laying there. Yeah. I, uh, I looked that up, but it didn't seem. You can't really tell much from it. I think they must have removed the stuff by then. Exactly. Yeah, all the tools, like they're laid down kind of behind him a little bit, and the heads yeah. of the tools are all obscured by him. So, Now, at that point, uh, Stratford sent Detective Superintendent Alex Spooner and an, inspect- and a, an inspector named Toombs. Uh, Toombs took a statement from Potter uh, since he was the last one to see him alive. Uh, Potter said that he had been in the, in the pub until noon, when he had crossed the field to where he saw Charles. Uh, He guessed that from the work done that Charles had gotten about another half hour or so of work done uh, before he uh, was murdered Um, because he, he'd seen how far Charles had gotten with, he was, he was uh, slashing down hedges. And then from where they found the body, he was only uh, a, a little bit further down the line. So they think that, well, yeah, about a half an hour or so, and these these kind of these details will come back in later. Yeah. So then Detective Spooner uh, decided to bring in Scotland Yard, uh, writing them that the murder was either committed by a madman, or uh, here's a fun piece of history that was happening nearby. 
um, one of the Italian prisoners who were in a camp nearby. This is still during World War II. So there was an Italian POW camp not far from there. Right. And the really interesting thing about this is, is that while they were prisoners of war, um, and this, this was something that happened uh, not universally in England, but kind of camp by camp, this was a pretty relaxed POW camp. Yeah. <laughs> to say the very least. Uh, for example, um, and this will come out a little bit later as we, we get through this, um, on the evening in question, the camp uh, organizers knew that there were two groups of men who had left the camp. One left their prisoner of war camp to catch a play. The other, the other group was at the movies. So, so not exactly like death March labor camps here. They were, they were, they were pretty relaxed. I hope they learned their lesson. (laughs) Now you see fascists would never let you see this movie. (laughs) Um, and so that was, so initially there was a lot of suspicion in that direction. So if you're keeping track at home, you know, on the suspects list, any of a number of Italian prisoners of war. And so he, uh, to get back to the story itself, so he had written to Scotland Yard because he thought they would need the assistance of an Italian interpreter to get to the bottom of this. Uh, Dr. West, Dr. Webster stated that the deceased was killed between 1 and 2 p.m. yesterday and, quote, a metal watch was missing from the body. Uh, and that watch is, is going to be important later as well. Like any clue. Like any raging clue. And just, again, because I think it's an interesting little uh, piece of, of history, the camp that we were describing is the Long Marston POW camp. It was about two miles away, primarily Italians, but also had some Germans, uh, Slavs, and Ukrainians. Yeah. Now, on the next day, on February 15th, Constable Lamazny was guarding the scene when Potter came up. The constable felt Potter was acting suspiciously and told him to not come any closer. And he said they just had actions that were odd enough for Lomazny to make note of. Well, that, and I mean, I, I don't know, maybe that's just how it was written. But like, if I tell you, don't come any closer. Is, is he referring to contaminating the scene or like just didn't want Potter closer to him? Because that's, that's a big difference. I think it was uh, about the scene. Yeah. I think he was just saying, it's far enough, mate. Yep. You know, you've had your look. I'll have you. Yeah, I'll have you. I'll have you. I'll do you for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, I think it was just he didn't want him mussing up before Scotland Yard got there. Right. And then Potter left. Apparently, he just was like, all right, here, have a cigarette. It's mighty cold. Bye. <laughs> right. But, you know, it was just kind of weird. Uh, weird enough for the constable to, to say something about. So then the next day, February 16th, Scotland Yard's chief inspector, Robert Fabian, a highly famed and much publicized detective, arrived with Detective Sergeant Albert Webb and Detective Sergeant David Saunders. Spooner met them, and Spooner Spooner's the one from Stratford. And uh, he wasted no time in handing Fabian a copy of Folklore, Old Customs, and Superstitions in Shakespeare Land. (laughs) In Old Shakespeare Land. That sounds like something that was written in Montana. Right. (laughs) And this was a book published in 1930. And then he handed him uh, Warwickshire, a book published in 1905. Now, the latter had a passage marked which Fabian read. 
It involved a simple man, simple as in not very bright, uh, who was drunk on hard cider and attacked an old woman named Anne Tennant, thinking she had put a hex on him. It said, Even as late as 1875, the effect of ancient superstitions concerning witches and the evil eye was seen in the crime of a man named John Hayward, who stabbed to death with a pitchfork an old woman 80 years of age, exclaiming whilst he did so that he would kill all the witches in Long Compton, and that there were 16 of them. At his trial for murder, during the course of his defense, he said, If you had known a number of people who lie in our churchyard, who, if it had not been for them, the witches, would have been alive now, you would be surprised. The deceased was a proper witch. Isn't it? Yeah, no shit, isn't it? It came out in evidence that this man for years had honestly believed that when cattle or other animals died, or any evil fortune befell his fellow villagers, such things were the direct result of the evil eye, and some unfortunate old women he asserted were proper old witches. His motive killing the unfortunate woman he attacked was evidently a survival of the ancient Anglo-Saxon custom with dealing with such persons by means of stacking or sticking spikes into them, whilst at the same time wishing the portion of the body so wounded might mortify and wither away. That's bleeding ridiculous is what it is. Isn't it? Isn't it? Isn't it? Isn't it? Now, the first book had a passage about an adolescent boy who had witnessed a possible harbinger dog, or Grimm, in in 1885. At Alveston, a plow lad met a dog on his way home nine times in successive evenings. He told both the shepherd and carter with whom he worked, and was laughed at for his pains. On the ninth encounter, a headless lady rustled past him in a silk dress. And on the next day, he heard of his sister's death. Why is this important? <laughs> I mean... Uh, why is it, yeah, Dave? Yeah. I mean, what does this have to do with anything? Turns out, why the lad's name was none other than Charles Walton. What? Cool! <laughs> uh, Spooner was convinced that this was the same person and that witchcraft was uh, definitely involved. Perhaps the whispers around the village had been true. Maybe Charles is a witch, and that his knowledge of the land and connections of the animals uh, were just a part of his witchly witchnitude. (laughs) (laughs) Those are technical terms. You need a doctorate to say them. Uh, Fabian, however, was not convinced and sought additional information, including uh, interviews from every member of the 400-plus person village uh, and the POW prisoners nearby. Oof. Right? That's what Saunders is for. Saunders was the Italian interpreter. Yep. He doesn't come back into play in the story. So. He's gone forever. Or is he? Yes. Oh. Or no. <laughs> yeah. Yes. While the most useful info came from those involved in the discovery of the body, one interesting lead popped up from the POW interviews. Apparently, like we said before, this camp was just a joke. No actual security, but... A man was spotted crouching in a ditch not far away, washing blood off himself, and was arrested immediately with the utmost dispatch. He was released a bit later when it turned out he was one of the Italian POWs who had snuck out to poach some rabbits. Hmm. The blood on him was just rabbit's blood. 
Or he would have you believe. Well, apparently, uh, his way of poaching rabbits was to just destroy them <laughs> with his bare hands. <laughs> <laughs> he went full ravenous on them. And, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I like that. And pe- people were pretty excited that they had. They thought they had their guy. Yeah. Sorry, rabbit blood. Hey, it's not a me. I just like the taste of the rabbit. <laughs> Now, Potter was interviewed twice by Fabian and Webb and maintained, and maintained that he was uh, off to see about a cow that had gotten stuck in a nearby ditch when he saw Charles uh, from a distance. Because normally he would have just walked over, high-fived him, saw what was going on, but he had a cow to get to. Yeah. <laughs> I would love to talk to you over there, but I got to find King Arthur. It's the name of this cow. <laughs> <laughs> there he is. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't want to stop you from your your head's trimmings and everything, but just wondering if maybe you've maybe you've seen King Arthur. Yeah, God, yeah, listen, such a good uh, cow. <laughs> listen, this is a tragedy to be sure, but I, I I'm very helpful. I'm glad that Scotland Yard is here because I I, I, I gotta find King Arthur. Maybe. Maybe these two things are related. You you don't have to stop looking for the murder of it. Maybe also look for King Arthur. So, well, you know, why, why you can yeah, stay I, a moment. I, I've I've got a, a lucky feeling that you find King Arthur, you find the murder. I got a bull over <laughs> in the next field. His name's Excalibur. I gotta go. Excalibur. Caliber. You're horrible. Uh, an interesting other thing that happened here is that this is now uh, two, three days after the murder, and um, it, they mentioned that these uh, Potter's wife had said, hey, at least we'll find out who did it because they're going to get fingerprints off the weapons. That's what the, the Scotland Yard guys said, at which point Potter just decides, uh, uh, I'll just let me hold on a sec. Beep, pop, boop, pop, boop. Hi, cops. <laughs> uh, just remembered um, I touched all the murder weapons, all of them. Right. Um, at the at the moment when we found the body, because I was uh, worried that well, he actually told a couple of different versions of it. Uh, oh. That he was first wanted to make sure that Charles, you know, was dead. He wanted to see if he could save him. Second, that they weren't. He was suddenly not sure that the um, Edith had said, "Be careful, the murderer might still be here," and so he. Was like, well, then I'll give them what worked on this guy. Oh, um, yeah. And now, and and according to Potter, he had told the police on day one, but he was just reminding them, right, that he has always been saying he had handled all of the weapons. Sniff, right? <laughs> we haven't even gotten to the witchcraft, right? Yeah. Uh, now Potter's mm. wife uh, was kind of pissed off by this. And Potter himself was like, well, this was clearly one of the fascist, uh, quote, the work of a fascist from the camp. One of the globalists. Uh, it was not long after that that they found an Italian man. Uh, <laughs> and it was said that Potter was, uh, quote, affected great glee and his wife became almost hysterical with delight. Potter's alibi was corroborated by his wife and one of his workers, except for the cow part, except for Excalibur. <laughs> Oh, no. Yeah. King, King Arthur wasn't found. Oh, I, I, I try to tell you guys. 
Don't focus on Excalibur. I got a thanking Arthur. That's that's what I care about here. I need to take him back to my barn, which I have renamed Calmelot. Oh, Jesus. It's like, we got to find him so I can just stop telling you about everything that's involved with it. In my head, it was whimsical and fun, but saying it out loud makes me sound like an idiot. I got to rethink something. Uh, all right. So Fabian coming up very short on leads, not getting much from the locals, took to wandering the area of the crime, trying to find anything he could. One story goes that on one of those evenings, as he was walking the slopes of Meon Hill, a large black dog came bounding over the crest of the hill, running like mad straight at him. He thought he were a goner, I, when that dog suddenly bounced off in a different direction and disappeared into the shadows. <laughs> uh, just a moment later, a young boy came over the same spot on the hill, and Fabian told him his dog ran off into the darkness and pointed the way. The boy was confused, and Fabian reiterated the dog had run by him, a large black dog. And why in the hell wasn't he on a leash, you little twat? Yeah. Have you seen my puppy? <laughs> <laughs> the boy supposedly paled at that, turned, and ran like the dickens back the way he came. Day or so later, Fabian came across a large black dog hanged by the neck from a tree next to the crime scene. You know, yeah, like I'll, you do. I'll, I'll revisit. I'll revisit. Right. Bit, but. Getting. I mean, this is this is kind of like getting into the a more weirder country gothic. This is like an American horror story, but it's a British horror story. Yeah. And the tea was gold. <laughs> wee, wee, yeah. Wee. Yeah, it's just the quick in and out shot of like a plate of stale biscuits. <laughs> so uh, Charles was buried at the church across from his cottage and Fabian and Webb returned to London with no resolution for the murder. Spooner continued his search for Charles' pocket watch, the thing that was missing off of uh, Charles' body, and it was the only thing that was said to have been taken from him. And he found it pretty quickly. Uh, 15 years later. <laughs> <laughs> in 1960, the outhouse of Charles' cottage uh, was uh, de demolished or at least uh, looked through thoroughly uh, because they were redoing a lot of stuff around there. And inside it, they found this pocket watch. Oops. Yeah. <laughs> Oops of poops. So not actually taken from him. Uh, Spooner never got over the case, and he returned to the site on Meon Hill every February 14th for 19 years, dying shortly after the last one. Now, whether hoping the murderer would return as well, or paying his respects, or hoping to come across something, maybe to, to suddenly help the case, it, as a case, it remained unsolved. Bum, bum, bum. But as as well you know, dear listener, it, it takes more than a hanging dog and a missing watch and a crushed outhouse to get our interest. Usually the crushed outhouse does it, but <laughs> that's true. In this instance, though, we got a little extra spice to go on this pumpkin latte. That's right. Under normal circumstances, Flory, you're 100% right. Just the outhouse alone would sell us. <laughs> yeah. But this, this, is a, this is blurry photober. This is the big show, Okay. What's sweeter than a sweet 16? Blurry Photober. Yeah, so here, here we go. Uh, there are a great number of supernatural components to this. Um, as we have already alluded to, 
lot of witchcraft talk going around this guy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, not only the uh, him being a witch, the land being whatever the witch haunted. Is that a phrase? Witch haunted? It's witch land buried on an ancient witch burial ground. Shakespeare land. Shakespeare land. That's witch like. You know, and this guy was a frog pet haver. What's more witch witchly than that? Uh, then you've got the book, which references a grim with a child by the same name. There's a lot. Oh, there's a lot of shit going on here. So let's 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 dig into this. Shit. Let's get this shit on our hands and rub it into our faces. What we should do is say shit a lot. Shit. Superstition uh, started creeping into this story at exactly the same rate that leads and rational explanations started to go out the window. Um, because no one uh, regionally could make sense of this just extraordinarily violent and uh, senseless murder. So, and, and as we mentioned before, uh, there was a lot of rumor about witchcraft uh, throughout the entire investigation. Um, the area was steeped in superstition, uh, things like hauntings, and the fact that it is uh, in the area called the Cotswolds, which I think most people have heard of, uh, a lot of rolling hills and a ton of historical sites, ne- Neolithic settlements, burial chambers from, uh, and even bronze and Iron Age forts. So yeah. there's already a lot of old history, which, with, which comes with a whole lot of old stories and weird shenanigans with that. Add to that, how about some legends of the area? I love it. Uh, one legend from the 8th century says that the devil kicked a boulder from the top of the hill intending to smash the recently built Eversham Abbey. His angry deed was thwarted by the locals' prayers, and the stone instead fell on Cleave Hill outside Cheltingham. <laughs> S- to hell with the cleavers. Take that, Cheltingham. Oh, our prayers <laughs> are quite powerful. Uh, people there then carved the stone into the shape of a cross to rid it of the evil from the devil's touch. Another version of the tale says the devil threw a large clod of earth to smother the newly built abbey. Why did he hate this abbey so much? Couldn't cause it the house again. All right. uh, however, the Bishop of Worcester saw the devil and with the power of prayer altered the devil's aim. Uh, in this version, the cloud, uh, the clod fell short of its target and formed Meon Hill. Uh, there is also a legend that phantom hounds of the Celtic king Arowan still hunt the hill at night. I remember talking about these guys in the uh, Hellhounds episode one year ago. Boogity, boogity, boogity. The king was the lord of departed sins, if you need a reminder, who would hunt to gather souls, riding a pale horse and accompanied by a pack of white hounds with red ears. Of course, the black dog was also a common legend associated with this. Oh, yeah. The Grim. Yep. Flora, what do you got? Well, but it has to be supernatural. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dive right into this witchcraft sh- Do it. Uh, rumors were whispered that Charles was a witch due to his reclusive nature and communion with animals. Crops had apparently been bad the year before, and some said Charles could send his natterjack toads across fields to blight crops, and that maybe he was responsible for it. Go, go forth, my pretties. Blight these fields. I mean, go go faster. It'll be done in a week. (laughs) Right. I I forgot. They don't hop. They (sighs) run. Skitter, skitter, skitter. In 1950, Egyptologist and folklorist Margaret Murray 
postulated that witchcraft was the motive of this case, in particular blood sacrifice. Apparently, by the old Julian calendar, February 14th actually translated to February 1st, the date of Imolg, uh, which is the pagan festival that marks the beginning of spring. It's also known as Candlemas. Oh, yeah. You, he- you heard of it? I have heard of Candlemas. This is one of those on, on the old uh, wheel of, of uh, Wiccan uh, festivals, and it's not, not necessarily Wiccan, but it's uh, you've got, what is it, Beltane is one of them. Yeah. Uh, Lunasa, this Imolg, and uh, uh, y- it's the same thing that Yule is on. You know what I'm talking about? You know uh, what I'm talking about. Yeah, I do. I gotcha. I can't think of it, of course, because I'm trying to, so... Yeah, it's uh, the uh, the solstices and the equinoxes are on there and all that stuff. So, Sawin, Sawin's the other one. Sawin, 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 everybody, Sawin. It's argued that all right. (laughs) I knew it was coming. It was argued that it was uh, this date was known locally to be the best day for a blood sacrifice, helping the earth after the recent winter and to make sure of a plentiful harvest that year. Uh, remind me to come back to this. I have a, a little bit, but I, I want to, to speak to this in particular. Cut somebody open, let the blood soak into the ground. The ground appreciates it and gives back, huh? Well, let's see. Now, there was that cross that was carved on his chest, huh? Uh-huh. That was, uh-huh. That was believed to be a way to keep a witch dead. You kill a witch, carve a cross on its chest. It's like uh, putting Mjolnir on something. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> keep it down uh in 1952 a seance was held on meon hill in the hopes of shedding light on the murderer's identity a mr hr mills an avid researcher of psychic phenomena and a mrs higginbotham a medium from birmingham braved bad weather in order to try and reach out beyond the grave to the spirit of walton higginbotham claimed to have spoken to a man named walton who said i forgive i forgive I deserved what was coming to me, but not in such a brutal way. Well, yeah, then you didn't deserve it. The watch that was found in 1960 was said to have a sliver of colored glass inside, much like that which witches might use to ward off evil spirits and curses, or the evil eye. Which witch would watch which watch? Yeah, that's what I was hoping for, and I love it that you came through. Fabian wrote 25 years later, I advise anybody who is tempted at any time to venture into black magic, witchcraft, shamanism, call it what you will, to remember Charles Walton and to think of his death, which was clearly the ghastly climax of a pagan rite. There is no stronger argument for keeping as far away as possible from the villains with their swords and their tanks and their bombs Bombs and and their bombs and their guns. (laughs) Incense and mumbo-jumbo. It is prudence on which your future peace of mind and even your very life could depend. Here ends the reading from the book of Old Doofus. (laughs) (laughs) That was, I think it was from Fabian of the Yard, which was an actual uh, autobiography turned Mm -hmm. show, turned, I don't know, BBC took it. Turned my stomach. (laughs) Oh! Yeah, so that that was the uh, stuff associated with witchcraft. 
that uh, that was said to be floating around the case. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> so that leaves the last suspect on this weird ass lineup of supernatural possibilities. But I can pick it out. Well, when you when when you say that before you see them, it's like it's like you're tainting your own evidence. I watch a lot of CSI uh, and Law and Order. I don't know if what I said is accurate. I don't care. <laughs> CSI Warwickshire. <laughs> yes. We already did CSI Rish. Believe me, we That's thought about right. it when we were doing this intro. We shan't get fooled again. <laughs> uh, what about the Druids? Remember, remember all that history. In I the do area? not. Rec- I do not remember. Well, was that the episode that uh, I was too sick to get drunk on? It was, wasn't yep. it? Yep. Yep. So I probably do remember. <laughs> yeah, it was the last last episode with a clean conscience before. <laughs> <sighs> Carl Young took me oh, down. Captain Carl. Yeah. Took you down to Titanic Town. Oh, yeah. It sank me. All right. How about the Druids? Yeah, okay. Sorry. Uh, one theory regarding the motive was sacrifice for a Druidic ceremony. Uh, the proximity of the Rollwright Stones, which is a complex of ancient megaliths near Long Compton, is frequently mentioned. Uh, there was a dolmen, which is a stone tomb, uh, a stone circle and a monolith there. Uh, some reports state that Walton was found in the very middle of the stones themselves, having been used as part of a terrifying and bloody ritual. Fabian himself, and once more, uh, said, One of my most memorable murder cases was at the village of Lower Quinton, near the stone druid circle of the Whispering Knights. There, a man had been killed by a reproduction of a druidical ceremony, on St. Valentine's Eve. Boogity, boogity, boogity. Yeah. Yeah, so that's your connection to Druidry. Yeah. Real quick thought while we're on it. I, I think you could punt a sheep anywhere <laughs> in that region and hit a stone circle. Exactly. Um, it's The whole area is rife with them. So how does how does that help? You know, like... well. You know what's funny is we'll we'll come come back to it just in in just a little bit. I say that, <laughs> but but the actuality was a uh, uh, a little different. You know what? We'll, we'll, fuck it. Let's go on and start with that one. Um, yeah. To get into some explanations of this, do you have any thoughts before we jump jump into the pool? Uh, no. I mean, the whole thing sounds very English countrysidey. Yeah. It, it it sounds uh, very um. What is it? I, Agatha Christie almost like yeah, uh, there's a lot of players there's a lot of people involved but oh there's also this old story and this old story and those old stories only get more confabulated over time yeah constabulatory confabulation yes so druidry nope yeah even Gerald Gardner big Papa Wicca himself and by, by that, I mean, it's, you know, the, the guy who kind of established Wicca. No, you don't have to explain it. He loves it when you call him Big Papa. <laughs> uh, even he had a response to Fabian's claim of a ceremonial killing, saying, The Whispering Knights are not a circle. They are not even druidical. They were about 12 miles away as the crow flies from Lower Quinton. Nor was Charles Walton killed on St. Valentine's Eve. And as no one knows for certain just what the druid ceremonies were, it is impossible to say that his death was a reproduction of one. 
It's ridiculous. Apart from these details, the description is quite accurate. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you're apart welcome, from those everyone, details, especially yeah. if you hated it. <laughs> uh, apart from those details, the description is accurate. So he's basically saying it was one of Fabian's most memorable murder cases. Yeah. <laughs> the rest, the rest, he's like, no. So the Whispering Knights. That's, I guess, the stone circle that's in the Cotswolds there. It's 12 miles away. Yeah. So that is a bit of a jaunt from where he was found. It would be a hell of a manhoeuvre. <laughs> <laughs> do you like that? Yeah, I do. And uh, yeah, he's, he said, no, he wasn't c- killed on St. Valentine's Eve. I guess he was killed on St. Valentine's Day. I mean, he, he's kind of, you know... They're, picking nits at that point. That's but, the uh, thing is that, you know, people know that the word Valentine was in there and everyone wants to make the best story they can. Yeah. But he makes a very good point that nobody knew what a Druid ceremony was like, what they did, how they, pre- you know, what the ritual was. So to even suggest that it's kind of silly. I heard they were super scary, though. So to try and stitch together Druidry, you're you're basically trying to do it with a piece of uh, straw and spider web. Yeah, it's not going to work. Save your save your spider webs for something else. All right, Dave. How about uh, you? You want to talk about what this witchcraft really was? What's going on with that? Is there an explanation for this? There was. Yeah. First and foremost, witchcraft. One, there was never any mention of a cross being carved into Charles' chest, either on the police report or on the autopsy report. That's kind of a big one. Yeah, that's a real big one. It, if anything, it would be on the autopsy, right? Yeah. They, by definition, that's what an autopsy does. Maybe by definition, it's to determine cause of death, but it would still mention the cross in the chest. Sure. Um, the method of death, while extraordinarily brutal, was not necessarily ritualistic. Uh, and everyone in town was fairly convinced that it was not a ritual killing. Uh, the witchcraft angle seemed to be get uh, seemed to get played up as the years went by, just because it's a local story, you know, and people like telling it, and everyone adds their own little thing, and and boom, now you've got a ghost witch murder story. Yeah, uh, and Fabian, even Fabian, was kind of known to be something of a marketer, and really enjoyed the attention of of being yeah. at the center of all this, saying that he he kind of like you said con- confabulated. Right, yeah, was not was not above uh, adding some spice. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. F- spicing up the story a little. Add to that that Imbolc is not even necessarily a very a bloody holiday. You know, there's certainly I'm sure there's some sect of witchcraft that has it in there, um, but it was more of a uh, home and hearth festival, and uh, fire was actually the most important aspect, which played no part in this murder. Right, right. Um, and this is where I, I remember to say something. I just didn't remember. Can't remember what I was going to say. Does that does that help? Is that is that useful to us? <laughs> I think it was that that the theory was he was sacrificed to uh, make a good harvest for for the upcoming spring and and summer. Ah. So he it was it was in order to ensure a, a good uh, uh, harvest. Or it was revenge for him causing a bad harvest for the year before. Yeah, you know how I know that's bullshit? 
Because if you need to ensure a better harvest, only way to do that is with the bees. <laughs> you got to put the bee. Actually, yeah, put the bee helmet on them. It's funny you mentioned that too, because I think that uh, the Christopher Lee Wicker Man. There was some connection I read early on when I was researching, and I forgot to look back at it. That that movie was kind of played into some of the stuff we're talking about, but um, I did. I, I just remembered what I was going to say. The other reason it's it's kind of bullshit is that if you are going down one of those blood sacrifice routes and you want to make a sacrifice to ensure a, a uh, well, for whatever, whatever you need, <laughs> you don't do it with a 74-year-old man with rheumatism. Yeah, that is not the strongest no. maneuver you can make. The argument is that uh, with those sacrifices, it is young, healthy people in the prime of their lives clean like no no disease like it's it's kind of the opposite of what he was is who you want to be sacrificing for that stuff so yeah yeah that that guy is is old jerky you, you want his fresh young meat right fresh <laughs> young meat have you been watching this season of uh american horror story i haven't but i i think i might because you told me just uh, this weekend, what it was about and stuff, and sounds interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's Roanoke and stuff, and they they did have a, a weird scene with, a, a like, I think a cannibal woman where she had made jerky out of a dude, maybe, and she was like, <laughs> she tries it, and she's like, oh, this is terrible. I like my meat sweet. It's just a weird thing to say. <laughs> yeah, so anyways, that's sacrificing Imolg. Yep. Carrying on. Uh, and then, you know, the black dog and Fabian... Uh, it could have been made up. It was, it's a well-known piece of English folklore. Um, and, and also, uh, could have been made up by, uh, Charles Berlitz. Um, and then, you know, and, and hung on to by Fabian. It just, it was easily tacked on. Yeah, exactly. It's just a dumb extra story that doesn't, it doesn't match up to anything. No, the only connection or the, the best connection, I guess, would be the, story of of young charles walton the plowboy uh who got laughed at for his pains yeah um, and that we can dispel good then dispel it tough guy yeah I, well i mean i just think the the grim story is just dumb just right even on the surface and it, it doesn't match up to anything it doesn't even establish like a previous problem it's just well yeah why why even connect that if it was charles is is young young Charles Walton? I guess being sensitive to the other side, or already having um, something supernatural happen to him, therefore witchcraft on this end of of the the time scale. I I don't know, man. Like y- y- I'm with you. There's no real reason to connect these and to dispel it. Charles' sister, who died in the story, didn't die in 1885. So. That's not Charles. Right. That's not this Charles Walton. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a honestly, it's a weak story to begin with. It's just it's an anything story. There's no specificity to it whatsoever. So, you know, it just it just so happens that somebody said Charles Walton, which is a very <laughs> common name. I read this passage in that in the actual book. You know, you can get a preview on on ye, ye old Amazon and. um I found this passage. It's literally like four four sentences is the story. <laughs> right. And even the story's fucking stupid. Oh, he saw a dog and then his sister died. Yeah. 
and that that goes with the grim part of it, where it's a harbinger of of ill fate. You know, some it's a bad omen. Something is is coming up, and we talked about that in the Hellhounds episode and stuff. So yeah. Anyway, the other book that Spooner presented uh, to Fabian, this murder was not identical to the Anne Tennant murder at Long Compton. Right, and that 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 even felt like a reach as they described the simul- similarities. Yeah. Haywood's attack on the old woman was witnessed by several people who testified that he used only a pitchfork with which he stabbed her several times and there was no billhook involved nor apparently was a cross carved into her chest although legend insisted that it was based on Haywood's own rather incoherent testimony. (laughs) So again this carving the cross on a chest it's it's weird. A weird thing to throw in there to say, yeah, but th- this this happened too, right? Yeah. Oh, this. Well, it's because there's there's no narrative to the story, so you nah. have to invent dumb things to tack it to something else. And yeah, some people has have suspected that this was a hate crime, that maybe our friend Charles was gay, uh, and that was why his fly was undone at the time of his death. Yeah. Uh, in in again, little to no evidence to support it. Even if he were gay. Though those kind of crimes happened very infrequently, like it, yeah, um, they happened, but it was very few and far between. It's it's kind of a stretch. Yeah, I I, I agree. I mean, it's on the list, but people are like, well, re- recluse and his pants were were off, <laughs> right? <laughs> or just unfastened. That's the thing. Still on, just unfastened. Right. Yeah, so, I mean, some even, some people even say, well, they caught him taking a leak. Right. And that's why that was, but anyway, moving on. So once we've eliminated all these things, Flora, who does that leave? Well, that leaves us with old man Potter. That's right. Who would have gotten away with it too, if it weren't for you Uh, damn kids. Listen to me, Mr. Potter. You're not going to be able to murder an old man. Cut his throat and stick a pitchfork through him. (laughs) (laughs) I see you there sitting on your pervert stool and you got your farm and Excalibur over there. Yes, Alfred Potter was the number one suspect in the case and police reports did indicate a certain nervousness and odd behavior from him throughout the investigation. Constable Lomazny, as we said before, noted some some weird behavior and said he complained of the cold and seemed to not want to be there the night of the murder. Now, uh, that part of it, yeah, I don't find that damning because it, it, all those things, I mean, yes, he is used to being out in the cold. He is used to seeing blood. You know, he's got a farm. But you can't really be like, yeah, he was reluctant to stay outdoors uh, next to this brutally murdered corpse. So we think that that, you know what I mean? Like, maybe he yep. was just a guy who was just really freaked out by the dead body and just was like, oh, it's kind of cold. Can I go now? Uh, Could be. Starting slow, though. Right. Starting slow. I just want to slam these doors the minute you open them is my thing. That's that's fine with me. I I don't like uh, drafts. Uh, Was it a bit strange that he led them right to the body? And this this is kind of an unfair question from me, just in the fact that we, we don't know how long it took them to get there and where they looked and where they, you know, he just, it, it, all the, the accounts said that he took them to the place that he saw Charles working. Yeah. 
and it just seems like they walked right to him. May not be the case, but if it were, do you think that is suspicious? No, and I'll tell you why. Because he knew what Charles's job was that day, which was to uh, cut down hedging. And hedges run in lines. So gotcha. you don't have to, uh, I mean, you're walking along an edge, a hedgerow. So you're going to, by definition, walk straight to him, no matter where he is on that line. You know, and, and right. now, now, if he wasn't on there, and he Potter still led them. You know what I mean? Like there's, sure. I think there's rational reasons why Potter could have walked him, quote unquote, straight to the body because there was only one. It's like saying, "Oh, we think it might be on the on the the bank of a river." Well, if you just start on the bank, you're going to walk straight to the body. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Bring in the cow back. Uh, Potter said he was on his way to check on it on the 14th. On the day of the murder, the, the, the cow that was stuck in the ditch, but right. the cow died in the ditch the day before and wasn't removed until about 3.30 p.m. on the 14th. And that in itself, like you said, it's not a damning thing because cows are, are large and unwieldy. You can't just pick one up, sling it over your shoulder. It could have taken a while to get to the cow, to get somebody to help, get it out, whatever. But here's the thing. He later said he was on his way home and then read the paper and then went to Pulp Mangold's that day. Now, so well, here's the a, here, story got switched up, yeah, right? He changed his story. And here's another thing is that in his original story, the reason that he didn't go over and say hi to Charles is because he had to get to this, this cow issue. Right. He was like, well, I normally would have, but man, I had to go check on this cow thing. The cow's already dead. Nothing to check on. There's no time impetus on this. If anything, if it was difficult to get out, if anything, he would need more help and be more incentivized to go talk to Charles. So even even his original account before he changed it entirely still doesn't hold water to me. Yeah, I can see that. This, this led Fabian to comment... Potter is undoubtedly lying about his actions at this critical time, but the reason for these lies can, for the present, only be a matter of conjecture. Yeah. Now, uh, Potter also stated he had seen Charles in his shirt sleeves, but the body was found with a jacket on. Uh, I don't know how much credence I, I give to this little factoid, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, like, it's a sticking point yeah, for some. And it's also like a lie within a lie. If you, you, can't, you can't say, well... I believe Potter because he said that he was in shirt sleeves, but now he's wearing a jacket. So what happened? You, you know, yeah. you know, you either you either believe Potter or you don't. And so you can't even like pick apart which part you do or don't believe. True. Beasley, one of the first guys on the scene there, was adamant that he never asked Potter to make sure Charles was dead, and, and Potter did not touch the weapons in his presence. So you remember in Potter's testimony, he he made it clear to the uh, police that Beasley had been like, go check, make sure uh, Charles is dead. Therefore, Potter went and jiggled all the equipment and, and just sort of like spat on everything and just sort right. of rubbed up against it all to get all that DNA on there. But Beasley says, no, bro, nah, bro, that is not what I did. 
I screamed a little with Edith, and then I turned around and took her home. <laughs> right. So there's that. Uh, it was also brought up that Charles's wife had left him 300 pounds sterling when he when she died, and that he had put most of it in savings right away after he got it. When the bank records were checked, however, the balance was just over 11 quid. Now, though it was speculated Charles could have loaned money to Potter and Potter killed him to not have the debt, the bank showed withdrawals of no more than 10 quid at a time, and most of that before he even met Potter, apparently. Yeah, I mean, he had, there was a, a over 10 years between these two events, and that the bank records pretty thoroughly showed that this guy just slowly worked through the money, you know, yeah. a tenner at a time. That's a lot of money at the time Yeah, to work through, but yeah. It took him a while. Now, Potter had suggested to Fabian that he might occasionally pay Charles for hours he hadn't worked because, <laughs> you know, Potter's a good guy. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I, I, I cut this guy a break, and he used to come to me and say he worked 10 hours, but I knew he only worked eight, but I was like, he's a good guy. Right. But upon inspection of his ledgers, it was found that he was claiming he was paying Charles more than he actually was and pocketing the difference. So, yeah, so he was actually workhorsing poor Charles. I mean, I think you're starting to get a little bit of, of a picture of this uh, magnificent douche. But uh, despite all this, Fabian found no real evidence connecting Potter and no reasonable motive for him to commit murder. Or murder. Or murder. Fabian thought Potter to be dull-witted on the surface, but actually a very strong and clever girl beneath the facade. So since there was no damning evidence or motive found, the case remains unsolved. Is it is it is it insane that if you if you commit a murder so batshit crazy that they're like, well, I mean, unless we get something really solid, there's just no motive to this, you know? If you can just get out there far enough. I guess so. I I'm you would think it would be easier in a small town uh, in a small town to catch the guy. Yeah. Because there's not that many leads to go on and not that many people, you know, it, it, relatively. It, uh, it, it is pretty baffling that they couldn't come up with anything. And I wonder, like, was the ground just, you know, hardened February, unthawed, tundra-esque? Yeah. <laughs> I, I guess I'll keep going with this f***ing synonym. But, and therefore, you couldn't really find any uh, uh, boot prints or, or traces of any activity going to or from or... It's weird to think that it's like, well, here's the body and the stuff that did it. Did, can we ask if anybody did it? Yeah, oh, every, exactly. Everybody's saying no. <laughs> guess, guess that's it. Ugh. There's got to be something else. I mean, it really leans toward Potter, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it does for a number of reasons. And I think I feel like Potter had a kind of a lot of low grade bullshit running. And maybe he just thought he would just lose his mind one day. I mean, and even his, his lie about the, or his, his story about why his fingerprints were on the tools. I mean, you, there's so many better ways to lie about that. Um, like, yeah. oh, I talked to him that morning. I helped him carry his tools. You know, right. You don't have to, you don't have to put yourself in those positions, but apparently he was smart enough to get away with murder. That's right. Maybe. I'm saying he did it. I'm saying it. You know, it, for me, it's like uh 60, 40. Potter did it, 60, 40, just some random vagrant come, coming by and just 
hacked a dude, you know, maybe it was like a robbery and he, he thought he would, yeah. he, he thought he might have something on him. I don't know. Cause it, it's yeah, just right, so right, random and clothes. Yeah. 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 And, and nothing, uh, there, there, there are no motives to go on. There's, there's no real like enemies that the guy had and, and, and therefore like, unfortunately randomness, uh, a random killing is, is closer to the top of the list. Yeah. That that happens as much as you want to think it doesn't. But as far as witchcraft, that is a pretty low percentage chance. I, I feel like. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I I think that this there's a just normal everyday lame evil, not exciting fun evil. <laughs> That's right. What what'd you think of this? Was this? Uh... I dug it. I dig it. I mean, it's a, it's a cool thing because everyone in town had an opinion. It it kind of played out like a masterpiece theater mystery yeah. show. I'll bet you there is some version of it somewhere. Maybe, yeah. Well, I think that's all we got then for the murder of uh, Charles Walton. Yeah. In a very brutal witchcraftery nutshell that's in a in a black dog's jaws. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's pretty <laughs> thorough. The only uh the only remaining question that they actually were able to eventually solve is um when they they kept his clothes and gave them to Scotland Yard in uh, 2008, and all of his clothes tested positive for pawns. <laughs> really had to jump on that. <laughs> yeah, I did. Uh, all right, I got one here. Oh, go for it. There is a um, a school uh, in in the English countryside, not far from the Cotswolds, that used to be a working farm. Um, but now it is just given over to uh, particularly rural people in England with really strong accents who want to, uh, you know, maybe pass for uh, a city uh, urbanite or even, you know, for acting or for their career uh, uh-huh. to help help reduce the severity of their accent. Um, it's called the Firths. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep, yep. Got to trim that that land, the overgrowth around the firths. <laughs> That's right, the firths. That's good. So I, I've got a bit of a deep cut for you here. Bring it. The famous detective, the famous detective sent from Scotland Yard was actually their second choice, Dave. Really? Yeah, their first one was busy traveling England, pretending like he was solving crimes and pretending to have relationships and rivalries with other detectives while acting like it was all real and wrestling with mysteries. That detective was Robert K. Fabian. I don't get it. So K. Fabe is the portrayal of rivalries and uh, competition and stuff that people have in order to like entertain in wrestling. So it's, yeah, it's basically, it's, it's, Oh, I've what never wrestling is. Oh, okay. I've never heard of that before. Kayfabe. Kayfabe. Yeah. Okay. So, that plays that. Deep cut. Yeah. People are going to be into that. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> all right. All right. I got one here. It's a little bit elaborate. So, okay. So just bear with me. Okay. There's a historical store in England, um, that was, uh, sped to, to go back literally hundreds of years and uh people have been uh making clothes there forever very famous uh type of clothes because when you they're they're for cold weather but when you wear them 
the sound of your thighs rubbing together, it sounds like like voices. Oh. Um, yeah, and it's um, it's a circle of whispering tights. <laughs> oh yeah. Hey Flora, will you will you listen to my tights? I think they're talking. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like my my tights are saying fart. <laughs> <laughs> Did my tights just say, oh, oh my, oh my. Bring us home, Flurba. It's an interesting story because um, besides this, a lot of people in the village of Lower Quentin had tussles over jealous spouses, romantic triangles, trysts and the like, and they would oft- often sabotage each other and get very mean, but it's only because they believed all's fair in love in Warwickshire. Oh, nice. I thought about it. I was going to do like a, a Warwick Davis pun. I thought about oh, that. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's, Warwickshire. I love it. Them's, them's sp- spooky puns. Them's puns. Spooky puns. Spooky yeah. Puns. I, that's, it's, it's kind of a hard one to, to pun off of because you can use war or wick, but then that shire on the end kind of yeah. throws you. Yep. You know what doesn't throw me? Listener mail. <laughs> See, I feel if I did it like real calm, like people would be like, whoa, he did it. I think it happened. Yeah. Uh, Let's see. We got one from Captain Hook. That's Captain Hook, as in, yeah, he'll be your. (laughs) As in, not Peter Pan. (laughs) Good form. Good form, Peter. (laughs) Captain Hook. Captain Hook. Yar, mateys, Captain Hook here, a loyal listener from the Aswang-infested islands of the Philippines. Ooh. And probably the only one. Uh, our good listener, uh, Jeff, is, I think, from the Philippines, but yeah. I don't know if he's there right now. I love the show, guys. Keep up the good work. So Thanks. far, Blurry Photos is the only paranormal show I've ever come across I've ever come across that is not made by gullible idiots that think an out-of-focus insect flying too close to a security camera is a fairy. Rods and orbs. I would love to throw you guys some money, but sadly my wallet was drained by the blessings of Lord Gabe and his last steam sale. So I hope this pun will cover <laughs> things for me. Just like how Chef used to cover up for the children and how he helps them with their problems by singing about how I'm gonna milk to you, woman. Gonna lay you down by the fire and caress your womanly body. Make you moan and perspire. I don't know. I don't know. Devil baby. That. It's got a devil baby yeah. in it. I loved it either way. Thank you, Captain Hook. That's great. <laughs> Thanks, Captain Hook. Heard from Carrie or uh, uh, Kari. I'm, I'm guessing Carrie, but. I like Kari. Dub- double A's uh, throw me off, man. A's. Yeah. Your question about what I'm doing to divert myself from America's decline into irrelevance. Three things. One, deactivated my Facebook after liking our fan page first. Nice. Two, not watching TV except for cooking shows and documentaries on PBS. Sweet. Call. Number three, catching up on all the Blurry Photos podcasts I've missed. Thanks to my son for introducing me to you guys. Woo! Thank you for the diversion. Thank you, Carrie. Yes. Kari. Kari. And thank you. Well, and also, very important, and thanks thank- you to Kari's son. That's right. He's the real MVP. I <laughs> uh, got one here from Los Rafos de Big Trout. I don't know what a Rafos is, so. I don't either. Hope it's filthy. <laughs> David, David. Yes. Been a listener for a while, a Patreon 
uh, for too long and for some reason needed to see your real mugs. Sure wish I hadn't. Ha <laughs> ha! You and me both, brother. You guys are nothing like I pictured. Yeah. <laughs> Think I'll cancel. Just, these are always the weirdest things to hear. <laughs> like, hey, uh, it's good to see you guys like that. You're nothing like I pictured. <laughs> we do what, hear that from time to what time. What does that mean? <laughs> I don't. I think. I think people expected us to be ugly, but then we weren't. <laughs> That's the way I take it. Hey, everybody, we got faces for radio. What can I say? <laughs> uh, he writes. Uh, I think I'll cancel my subscription and go back to knitting beer koozies. I would love one of those. Ha ha, fooled you, idiots. Okay, I put the idiots in. <laughs> I can't oh. knit. <laughs> Love the show and the puns. Keep up the great work. Uh, I kind of hope you get a bigger network show, but I never want you to quit the podcast. I mean it. Never quit the podcast or else I'll cry a little. I don't want anybody to cry a little. XOXO, Los Rafos, the Big Trout. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be funny if we got a if we got like a television show, we would just take the audio and put it on a podcast. Yeah, that wouldn't work. We we would be far too visual for that. Anyways, thank you, uh, Big Trout, Dave. We've heard from Kelly Bell. Oh boy, we've discussed this. I just hate that. Not Kelly Bell. Not Kelly Bear. I don't hate Kelly Bear. Hello, D and D. You can be my dungeon masters any day. Woo! <laughs> oh, hot. Just finished the Mingle episode. Yeesh, what a nasty piece of work. That's the True second dad. yeesh in a row. The list of funny place names had me crying with laughter, especially when Six Mile Bottom was mentioned. <laughs> My dad lives in a village in Cambridgeshire called West Ratting. To get there from London, you pass through Trumpington, which is real. Saddest place on earth. And Six Mile Bottom. It never fails to have me laughing every time I visit my dad, despite him having lived there for nearly 20 years now. Thanks for the facts and giggles. Or as I like to call them, Figgles. <laughs> Cowboy Bell. There's a place between Louisville and Lexington on uh, I-64 down in Kentucky, uh, where you pass by a couple of, of fun towns. You can get off the interstate and go to Wadi, or if you don't want to go there, go on past it a little piece, and you can get off the interstate and go to Big Bone Lick. What if you went, what if you went past it a spell? Those are, those are the fun places in Kentucky. Thank you, Kelly Bell. Got an email from Randall Savage. The matriculating man. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes, brother. He writes, hey, Daves. Hey. Uh, love the new Campfire Ghost Stories and the Yosef Mengele episodes. I laughed so hard on the Campfire episode, I was curious about the archived ghost stories. So I listened to the first ghost stories and I learned a new phrase from old David and Dave. You filthy haints. <laughs> Yep. I think that should be a soundbite for Patreon, just saying. P.S. How's that country <laughs> album coming along? Thanks, thanks, brothers. Macho Man Randy Savage voice. That's how that goes. There's a little stage direction in there, which I enjoy. <laughs> uh, it's coming along. We are speaking of it as little as possible, so as to not create more expectation than there will be delivery. Right, but I'll tell you this. It's good to have a wedding in the Paracon out of the way. Right. <laughs> That, that'll be that. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, oh, Randall. Yes. You old hand. Brother. Oh, see, si, Urbano. <laughs> I'm studying Spanish. <laughs> yeah. Heard from Sophie. Hey, guys, my name's Sophie. I'm from wild and wonderful West Virginia. Woo. Uh, we've actually talked to her dad a few times. Kick ass. Chris Mal. And has uh, he's been on, on her about uh, getting on this wonderfully weird ride. 
And she was pretty hesitant because she's such a visual per- person and podcasts, you know, all audio. But we have totally changed that for her. Nice. Woo! We create audio soundscape for your mind. Yeah, Los Rafos. Everybody else can form a picture in their mind of how cool we look. I'm just saying. You didn't need to look for the real thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so she works uh, at a local animal shelter and they can uh, listen to stuff on headphones while they while they do their work. And she said we pulled her into what feels like a storybook atmosphere. Kick ass. Yeah, it's really cool. I'm glad to hear that. And she said I've been uh, badgering my dad about letting me give him the cash out of my next paycheck for a t-shirt. I'm not expecting a response. Uh, just wanting to thank y'all for being super rad. Well, you got a response, Sophie. Yeah. You got a damn response. <laughs> thank you, you Sophie. You little sh- that's awesome. And we've got some excellent news for you this episode, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, R.E. Clothing. Uh, we got an email from Sam. Uh, he writes, hey, Daves. Hey. I wanted to tell you. Uh, hello. Wanted to tell you both what a great job you did handling the Yosef Mengele episode. Uh, it's a difficult subject, and you handle it perfectly. I was a bit dubious uh, when you still did puns, but I shouldn't have worried. You cover this topic with tact and all the vicious humor it deserves. <laughs> you know, we actually discuss we puns. You know, we're like, eh, I, we always consider it a palate cleanser. I think we even say that in the episode. Yeah. Uh, the topics seem a bit grim lately, but what doesn't after discussing the Holocaust? So true. So I wanted to request some more mythic topics. Uh, and he's got a lot of great uh, suggestions here, uh, some of which we are... We are right on the cusp of, brother, so we are on the same exact page. So thank you very much for those. Uh, Also, this is important. I'm not skipping this. I also want to give Dave Stecco a pass on his next trip to the penalty box. I was so happy to hear a (laughs) reference from Snatch. I don't care about accuracy. If this was too un... Yeah, I already went to to jail for this. Uh, If this is too unjust... Uh, could we have the brick top speech where he explains how to feed dead bodies to pigs in the next penalty box? I like that. Thanks for all the work you put into making me laugh and keeping me well-informed on so many vitally important topics. Indeed. Every time I have an itch, uh, part of me thinks more gallons because of you guys. Yes, we'd like to put that in everyone's head. <laughs> right. Thank you, Sam. Thank you, Sam. Quick shout-out to Venomoth Goat. Oh! Who appreciated our handling of the Mingle episode as well. Uh, and he thinks it's bullshit when people say, well, the Nazi experiments were horrible, but they allowed us to learn things medically that we wouldn't otherwise know. I tend to agree. Yeah. Those those people don't know what they're talking about. Right. And he said, it's my understanding Unit 731's data was used after the war as they were a bit more scientifically rigorous. As always, keep up the good work. Remember to buy war bonds for when the Nazis inevitably rise from their base in the Hollow Earth. Yep, yep. Only you can stop the unfrozen march of Nazis. <laughs> That's right. Thank you, Venomoth Goat. Thank you, Venomous Goat. And uh, to wrap out listener mail... An email from Verity, who writes, relatively new listener, and I stumbled upon the podcast a month or so back on a cryptozoology podcast suggestion list on Reddit. Kick ass. Oh, nice. I like, I like hearing that. I used to be big into monsters and myths when I was a kid, and I borrowed 40 in times uh, from my uncle uh, and watched a lot nice. of great ghost story shows. Damn right. This, see, this is exactly what I'm talking about. This is how we do. I fell out of love with it after shows like Most Haunted and It's Ilk, as I felt they were just- Most Haunted. <laughs> uh, indeed. Most Haunted. Uh, <laughs> oh, my. As I felt they were disingenuous and kind of boring. I completely agree. 
However, listening to your podcast with your skepticism, but humor and understanding has rekindled my love for the genre. Boosh. I wish the UK had a cryptid culture like the US. Over here, people tend to prefer ghost stories and UFOs. Although you are the cradle of Jeff the Talking Mongers, so you, you're not you're you're not without heroes. Uh, I suppose it's hard to hide a full-grown Sasquatch in a tiny British woodland. That's why you have a mongoose. Really hard to find those guys. Although we have a Shug monkey, which is a dog-ape hybrid that lives in Cambridgeshire. I kind of like the sound of that. Put that on the short list for Ms. Cryptid. And also hits us up with a really great spooky dream story. And a verity will close us up with a pun. Uh, just for the fun of it, I'm going to do this as iced tea. Okay. Lately, there's been a lot of hate crimes in my area, likely due to a lot of residual wraithism. Wraith is in the ghost. Wraithism. <laughs> That's great. That's a, <laughs> That's a, that is a tight, tight pun. That is well, it's a, it's a tight double, double two hit combo. Hank, Hank crimes, wraithism. Wraithism. Uh, That's great. And if, if we can remember Verity, we, uh, we will read your spooky story. Uh, when we read our spooky stories. Yes. Yes. So thank you guys for writing in You're magnificent. And we do deeply appreciate it. That's right. Don't forget. Go on over to Facebook. Give us a like. Help us. We're, we're rising on up to 15 Hildos on there. Yes. Go on over the to Wings of Dark Angels. Go over to Twitter. Blurry underscore photos. Follow us on there. Go to iTunes and please, please leave a five star glowing review for us. Help us get to that 400 mark. Go get yourself a free audio book from audibletrial.com slash blurry photos. Free book for you. 30 day trial membership. Don't like it. Don't keep it. We still get to keep the high five you get us. Go to chicagopodcastcoop.com. Check out more great podcasts from the fine folks at the co-op. Uh, our pod partners, our uh, sponsor mavens, the, the Cards Against Humanity, doing great things over there. Wonderful stuff they're doing for the uh, trolling of the, the stupid-ass election cycle we've got here. <laughs> right. Um, you can also find some uh, great podcasts at darkmyths.org. Tell them the good news, Flora. Are, are we ready to? Are we ready? Are we ready? Y'all ready for this? <laughs> Gonna take it to the bridge. Do it. This, All right, this, everybody. We're, we're, there is only so big of a file we can safely record, and we are past that. So, so hit them right in the net. <laughs> oh, right. We have two new shirt designs <clears throat> going on the website in the store. We have Jeff the Talking Mongoose. Hello, love. In a uh, uh, a slate blue for the for the unisexes and a heather purple for the ladies cut. Mm-hmm. We have the logo in color. Oh, no more black flag. Now it's the fully colored flag. That's right. Uh, Actually, unisex the, on those. There's there's. There, there, that was wrong. There's still more black there, flags left. So you can. You there's can a few more, but we're we are quickly running out of sizes on that. So grab yours while they last. They're going to be a collector's item. <laughs> you know, for t-shirt collectors, we have mugs, coffee yep. mugs. They got our filthy mugs. <laughs> our filthy mugs. Get get one of your own. It's got bat squatch on it. It's got explore the unexplained, explain the unexplored on it. They're purple on the inside, black on the outside. Amazing. Amazing. They're very cool. Go and have fun on the on the website, play around. But that's not all, Dave. It's not all? That that is not all. Oh. If you're an international listener and you would like one of these t-shirts, <gasps> but not a mug, here's what you can do. Go to 
blurryphotos.threadless.com. That is a site of a brand new hosted store for us. Now, if you are not international, if you are still domestic, on tap, not in a bottle, you can still go to the store because we have, how many designs do we have on there, Dave? Six. Six at least. Yeah. It's, we got a bunch. What, we, what we're able to do is send Threadless, the t-shirt making uh, uh, website, our design, they put it on a shirt at your request and they send it to you. It's a little bit more expensive, but we're getting the designs out there. Our international listeners can finally, finally get a, a t-shirt and we get to put out st- stuff like the Dorchester Puckwudgies chunky shirt as a baseball jersey or t-shirt. You're, you're, who cares? Go 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 wild. Get whatever you want on there. We've got uh, the Cahokia Maze Gobblers, the Cahokia Chert Barons. We've yep. got a Devil Baby shirt. We've got Explore the Unexplained and all that stuff that we say a lot. We've got a pumpkin. <laughs> go nuts! Yeah, we got the Hainton ticket. We got Piggly Dog. We got four- Oh, we got Piggly Dog on there. Yep. We've got four different chunky <laughs> shirts. That's right. <laughs> four shirts from one episode. <laughs> uh, Devil Baby. We got, uh, yeah. yeah, just, man, just go buck wild there. Um, you can get pants. <laughs> you can get like like pajama pants. There, there's some of them you can get totes or or like pillows or, or blankets or something. I, it's it's nuts, you guys. This yeah. is huge. They handle all the stuff. Like I said, it's a little bit more expensive than what we've got on our site, but yeah. it makes up for it because you get like like what 10, 12 different styles to choose from. You can get a ladies' cut. You can get a V neck, a long sleeve shirt, as a hoodie. Yep. Oh, it's exciting. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's like, just what we've been looking for. Flora's cream dream. The, uh, the, uh, baseball three quarter sleeve shirts for the, oh, for the, uh, the Cahokia teams. So great. Yeah. And the puck wedgies. Yeah. Love it. Love them. Love them. Uh, love. Oh man. Go, go nuts. We'll, we'll, we'll be putting links up and everything too. So yeah, that's, that's the bag news. Yeah, that's man, that's huge. We've been working to get something like this for years. And yeah. now it's here. Yeah. Z. <laughs> now it's here. Z. Now it here's now it had here's to us. So that's what we got. That is fun. And mm, let's we, just, are, we should sign off because yeah. this episode's getting real big. Let's just leave it on that super high ass high note. High ass high. Hit him, Flora. All right. Well, uh, for this episode of Blurry Photober, <laughs> I have been David the Whispering Knight, Flora. And I've been Dave the Gay Dog Stecco. <laughs> <laughs> it was the pub from the very beginning of the episode. That's right. I'm so sorry. I, I really feel like we should... In this episode now, but uh, my my partner, Mister Pinsley, just he he won't allow it until. Just say bye. Very well, Pinsley. Bye. Right. <laughs> <laughs>